The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. And I assure you, this program has my full, complete, and undivided attention, notwithstanding the fact that my Miami Heat are currently locked in a playoff game as we record this, and it should be taking away my focus because, boy, it would be so cool to eliminate those dreaded Milwaukee Bucks tonight. But we got bigger things to think about, so I don't want anybody telling me any scores. Don't text or tweet me anything about any of the games right now, all right? My focus is here, and my focus is on our co-host this week, Zach Sloan, joining us. Hey, Zach. Do we have Zach? Yes, no, maybe, possibly. Ah, there he is. I am here. All right, for twenty dollars, Ryan, I won't spoil the spoil the game for you. Oh man, you oh, know what? I with actually that, with that face twenty five. I actually lean into the other side of it. If you want to just sprinkle in game scores throughout the broadcast, just to keep me posted, I might actually treasure that. That would this save me the trouble this. of having to like peek at the score while I'm supposed to be doing the show. This reminds me of one of my favorite Prince stories because Prince was an avid NBA fan, and there are yeah. stories of him, like on stage, and he would pay one of or one of his people would have like the score up on a whiteboard and would update it throughout the show, <laughs> and he would just be jamming, all right, and then just keep going. So, basically, I'm comparing you to Prince. That's I was I was driving at that. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I will not uh, reject that by any means. Um, Love it. I mean, really, if you, to be honest, Zach, the sporting event that is really on my mind right now, even more so than this playoff matchup, is what I have often referred to on this program as my own personal Super Bowl, and that is the Eurovision Song Contest. That's what I'm talking about. That is going to be less than a month from now, like two weeks as we record this, as the crow flies. May 13th, Eurovision Song Contest. I want to, before we get into our program, we have a lot to talk about, right? We got Janisha Jones joining us later in the show, the founder of the Juke Joint Foundation, creating opportunities for women of color in music. She's amazing. That's going to be a great interview. We got the AI Overlord tip of the week. We got lots of news stories. But first, I want to do a little bit, I want to do a little housekeeping talk with you here, Zach. Because last year, you and I were talking about Eurovision Song Contest, and I feel like I've gotten you into it a little bit. And we have a habit on this show where I get so excited for Eurovision every year because I love it. And I think it's the coolest thing. And I think more Americans need to watch it because it's it's it is music. It is competition. It is geopolitics. And it's all over in a day, which is fantastic. I don't want another year to go by, Zach, on this program where I get excited about this and you get excited about this. And then we don't do anything with it. Is there something we can do with Eurovision 
involving this show this year. But producer Lauren, if you have suggestions as well, I don't want another Eurovision to go by where we don't celebrate it, acknowledge it, build content around it, do something because I just love this contest so much. And I would just, I hate to be the only thing I do with Eurovision is just watch it on my couch. Ryan, I floated this last year and I'm bringing it up again. Fantasy Eurovision. We each pick countries <laughs> to, for our fantasy team and whoever does the best, you get points for, and that's how you determine a winner. I like this. I like this. Okay. And this is this is genius. How is this determined? Are we doing like a draft, like it's fantasy football? Mm-hmm. Are we drawing countries out of a hat? No. Which I think could be amusing. Oh, no. We actually have to pick the countries? I mean, the here, so I think maybe the hat's actually the better decision, and here's why. There is, when you pay attention to Euro, Eurovision, as you said, geopolitics are really important. And you can sort of look at the landscape of what's going on and have a better idea of who may have a, you know, who may pull some extra votes. Yeah. Um, that being said, I mean, I don't know if that's any different than knowing that this quarterback is better than that quarterback. So you draft that quarterback. Uh, I think it go either way. I'm, I'm happy to do it either way. But I, I'm telling you, man, fantasy Eurovision would be a blast. I'm wondering if the solution here isn't a combination of both, because I think people don't want to watch a whole show of you and me and producer Lauren and the other co-hosts drawing, like, you know, just drafting the 36 some odd countries. Right. Right. What if we each get to pick one country and then the rest of them are random? So you get like the country that you treasure. But then like the rest of them, it's just the hands of fate, whether you get Moldova or San Marino. I love it. I'm I'm deter- I'm perturbed that Happy H2O Happy Dude doesn't know what Eurovision is. Ryan, you want to give a primer? All right, fine. You know what? We the AI overlord can wait for a second. I'm going to teach you all a little bit about Eurovision. The Eurovision Song Contest, a annual music spectacle. So you see, there's this continent on the other side of the Atlantic called Europe. And for the first like 3000 years of its history, it's settled all of its differences with horrific fighting, warfare after warfare, sad stuff. Until one day they decided that instead of settling their differences with guns and bullets, we're going to settle them with really, really campy, delicious pop songs. And so every year, all the countries of Europe get together. Each one of them sends one song that is like the best song in their country and they perform them all against each other in Eurovision, and they vote, and the winner gets to uh, be the best song in Europe. Uh, Normally, the country that wins Eurovision in the prior year gets to host the next year's event. Last year, Ukraine won. And but because of obviously with everything that's going on in Ukraine, they wound up it's still technically Ukraine is the host, but it's in going to be in the UK this year who came in second. And it's going to be it's spectacular. If you've never seen Eurovision, I'm telling you, in, you know, watch the grand final with us. It's going to be May 13th. It plays prime time in Europe, which is perfect for us in the States because it means you get to watch it like during the day. So like, you can do some Eurovision day drinking, which is fun. It's over by like 6 p.m. USA time. And it's just amazing, delightful Europop for like six hours. And you're going to love it. You know, Ryan, I produced a guy who once was a finalist from England, one of the top 10 people in England to be on Eurovision. 
What? Uh, yeah, Rupert Waits. I did the Rupert Waits trio. And, you know, we're just sitting around in this very studio talking after we did some work. And I said, oh, I love this song of yours called Slow Boat. And he goes, you know, that was actually a, a British finalist for Eurovision. And I looked at him, I was like, that's the saddest song I've ever heard. He's like, yeah, I got last in the top 10, but I was in the top 10. <laughs> but I was in the top 10. <laughs> He's like, I got crushed in the finals before going to determine who was going to go to Eurovision. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a pretty big feat. And if you're in Europe, this is a huge deal. Yeah, Jeez. it's amazing how this is this is an unbelievably big deal in Europe and in America because we're so you know America centric with everything we don't know about this and I'm telling you it is amazing. We tried to do the American Song Contest this past year where it was every state sending a song. Mm -hmm. It just didn't hit the same. I watched it for some reason. There's just something about when Europe does it, and I think it's because of the way that Europe treats pop music which is just like they don't take it too seriously. It's super bouncy and fun and it's just it's just great. It's just a, it's it's as close to perfect television as you're going to find and it's there are there's certainly worse things that you can do with a Saturday. So I like the the fantasy Eurovision idea. I'm thinking we do something with you and me and producer Lauren, we get some of the co-hosts involved. We yep. we make it fun and like yes, that would that would help me grant all of my wishes with respect to Eurovision. Good thinking, Zach. Love it. Let's do it. I've been wanting this for a year. All right. Um, so we will we will plan that. We will get behind the scenes on that. If there's any viewers and listeners that want to join us in whatever the hell it is we're going to do with Eurovision, I'd love to make this a experience for the community. So, you know, something to keep in mind there. Uh, let us move on to our AI Overlord Tip of the Week next. AI Last week, the AI Overlord tip of the week was an absolute blast. At Lauren's suggestion, we did a Dr. Sooms-themed AI Overlord tip of the week. But I want to take us back a little bit further to what we did two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we had the chat GPT give us a tip of the week in the style of a Shakespearean soliloquy. And I enjoyed it. We had costumes. We had music. We had fancy backgrounds. And naturally, I thought it worked so well that I kind of want to take it to the next level. And so I have enlisted the help of Zach Sloan, Master Thespian, and Producer Lauren, Master Thespian. I don't know if I think that's the term you'd use for a, a female thespian, kind of like comedian, comedian, um, to do a instead of just one person doing a Shakespearean monologue, I'm thinking we do a Shakespearean scene. So, Producer Lauren, if you could join us here for this, do we? Uh, you 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 seem nervous, Lauren. You are an actress. You've performed all <laughs> over the world. This shouldn't be that scary for you, but you look scared. We discussed last week that I had my thespian card removed because I'm not the biggest fan of Shakespeare. Or maybe I'm just too lazy to do Shakespeare. Like, that takes a lot of work. <laughs> well, I, I mean, how much can we do with this? Like, because last week I had a costume. Like, I put on this, like, sheet. Do you guys all have, like, costumes oh, nearby that you can grab? Can we can we set the scene here for our little Shakespearean play that we had ChatGPT right up? I, oh, 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 Zach's got a little robe there. Okay, that's, that's Shakespearean. I'll go with that. I and naturally, to have a cape sitting behind me. Of I course do. you do, because you're never more than five feet away from a costume. 
Hang on. Yeah, do we well, all behind have... the green screen is a whole costume closet. For I think I have a Zoom background here that we can use. So what I asked ChatGPT to do is to give us a short Shakespearean scene about why, about how artists can be successful. Oh, nice background. I see it there. How artists can be successful using the platform TikTok. And so the three of us, the break the business players, are going to act <laughs> out this scene. Do you all have your scripts? Are we ready? Oh, Lordy. So, yes. um, so I'll be playing the role of Balthazar. Uh, uh, Zach, who will you be playing in this? Lucius, not Malfoy, because <laughs> this is a Gryffindor. Bal it just dawned on me that, okay. Yeah, because you have a Harry Potter robe, but it's a Gryffindor robe, so Lucius yeah. is not who you should be. But that's fine. Because this isn't this isn't uh, Rowling, this is Shakespeare. So we can take some. And this is here. a cold read for the record. Like we haven't had. Yeah, we have not. We've not rehearsed this. We haven't. There's been no, no none of that. We're gonna we're gonna do this. Uh, super. Ryan cold. showed up pre-show and was like, "Here, guys." Yeah, that's that's how that's the extent of our show prep every week. And Lauren, uh, who will you be playing in this? Miranda. All right, very good. Okay, which is a very Shakespearean name. Let me see if we have some music to set the scene here. All right, and here we go. This is our this is the break the business players Chad GPT AI overlord uh, performance. Hail Lucius and Miranda! I bring a tale of platform where creators sing. TikTok it is named, where art is swift displayed and in its fleeting charm, great talents are conveyed. Oh, Balthazar! <laughs> what <laughs> wisdom dost thou share? Pray tell, how shall we use this platform fair? Aye, Balthazar, enlighten us. We pray this, we pray to yield this platform well. What is the way? To use it well, dear friends, be swift and brief. In this realm, the fleeting moment is a thief. Embrace the trends and let their rhythm guide your artful work and let your talents ride. And what's good? <laughs> Balthazar of sounds and tunes doth music play a part in this swift fortune. <laughs> Indeed, good Lucius, music is the key to touch the hearts and set their spirits free. Choose your melodies with care and let them blend with your images to make your message send. And what of others, Balthazar, who strive to share their art and make their dreams alive. Collaborate, Miranda, with those you find in duets and stitches. Let your art be twined, for in this union your reach shall grow, and through this realm your fame will surely flow. We thank <laughs> thee, Balthazar, for thy counsel wise. <laughs> and in this TikTok world our, our art shall rise. With wit and brevity, our message we shall send, and through this boundless space, our fame extend. Aye, with thy guidance, Balthazar, we shall achieve great heights, and in our dreams we shall believe. For in this TikTok world, our, out, our art shall flourish fair, and in this fleeting space, our talents we will share. And... Scene. Exunt. Exunt. I like, I like that chat GPT put exunt. I haven't set the button yet for the music to fade out, but that's okay. Next time. Okay. Next time. Oh. Oh. 
That was terribly, horribly embarrassing. Zach, you are... I don't know if he can hear us. I don't know if he has his headphones in. Zach, that was brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, you know, I was just trying to... And, and listeners who've been around for a while will know the inspiration. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure you didn't get dinner before the show because you made a meal of this scene is Ooh, what you did. Look at <laughs> that. Anybody, listen, I'm rarely on Twitter. Uh, Zach underscore Sloan, um, at Zach underscore Sloan. If anybody can can tweet me and reference what I was ripping off that we actually referenced on the show like a year ago, I will send you a copy Whoa. of my entire musical catalog. <laughs> was the, you were referencing something? Whoa. You were channeling something in that performance? Oh, and as soon as it comes to you, you will crack. I figured that's why you were laughing so much as you knew what I was doing. No, I just, no. I, just, I just love the way you were portraying that character. Do you know what the worst part of this is? A uh, best slash worst part of this is in the middle of our scene. I saw our guest this week, Janisha Jones, pop <laughs> into the green room. I'm sorry, Janisha. And I can't even imagine what she's. What the hell did I get myself into? My publicist said this was a serious XM show. They're doing Shakespeare, but she hasn't left yet. So we're that's very good news. Hey, we're on serious, but we're not serious. We're clearly not serious despite being on series. Oh my God. That was, that was so much of a joy. Uh, just to let people peek behind the curtain here and, uh, you know, pun intended because you always intend our puns around here. My original idea for this, to, we were going to do a Shakespearean chat GPT thing, but we were going to have a professor at the university of Miami who does Shakespeare read the scene instead of any of us and they canceled on short notice because they had a lot of stuff going on. It's exam season at, at the university. But I'm glad that they did kind of because I enjoyed this a heck of a lot more. If for no other reason that we got to see Zach Sloan at his actiest of acting. I can't wait to go back and watch it because I flipped over to like reading the script that you had just sent me and I could hear him and I desperately wanted to see him. <laughs> so the radio audience now has to do the same and like go back and watch <laughs> clips because I need to see what Zach was doing during this because in my head he's like flailing in the room. And like any great work of Shakespeare, <laughs> you can watch it multiple times and and get something new out of it, discovering nuance in Zach's performance that you didn't get the first time. And Janisha so has uh, agreed with you. She was not prepared for what she was walking into. Uh, we sorry. hope she stays on long enough to get interviewed. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, I am excited to talk to her. Make no mistake. Before we bring her on, though, wanted to talk about it as I compose myself here. Wanted to talk about a couple pretty interesting stories that are that have gone on in the music industry, Zach, um, that actually help us help carry a conversation we were having the prior week about AI and what's happening in music with AI. Did you hear about what's going? Did you hear about um, the story with the the fake Drake the weekend Again. song that was dropped? Fake Drake. <laughs> yes, and I, I, you ready for my hot take? I am ready for your hot take. This is going to be great for rock and roll, and I'm a rock and roll guy. I think AI is ultimately going to help rock and roll more than anything has helped rock and roll in quite some time. Do tell, uh, Lucius. Well, to... so here's the deal. Part of what allowed this song to fly air under the radar briefly before everything blew up um, is the fact that, like, if you don't have to perform live, 
where's the check to make sure that you're actually good, right? Mm. And one thing that I've always hung my hat on as a musician is I'm actually a better live performer than I am anything else. And so, like, I always tell people, you want to get a taste of what my band is like? Come see Dear Marsha live. And that's something that AI can't fake yet. It will. But for the now, Ryan, bands that play live music, I think are going to see a resurgence because eventually this type of thing will probably saturate the market because it will be the new trendy thing. And the desire to go see live music may actually increase. And I think that's a good thing. The great Dave Grohl said, if you're a good band, you will resonate with somebody and people will come and see you again and again and again. So in the AI world, get really good at playing live. That's an interesting perspective because it presupposes, and it's a legitimate presupposition to make, that as AI rises, it's going to be a threat to musicians and creators, and it's it could be a substitute for them. If I can have uh, an artist, if I can have AI sing any Drake song I want, I don't need Drake to record anymore. And But the counterpoint that we got, to that, got from that from one of our guests last week, Rob Abelow, was... That Rob was suggesting that artists need to lean into AI if you are an artist like Drake and actually allow your fans and encourage your fans to use AI to make songs out of your voice because it could help build fan engagement and even lead to revenue opportunities there. And we're actually seeing an example of an artist dipping their toe into that water a bit. Lauren, if you have the tweet, you can uh, put up on the screen there. So uh, Artist Grimes uh, put out this tweet. She uh, she quote tweeted the uh, article talking about, oh no, somebody faked a Drake in the weekend song using AI. We should all be scared. But she wrote in her tweet in response, I'll split 50% royalties on any successful AI generated song that uses my voice. Same deal as I would have with any artist I collab with. Feel free to use my voice without penalty. I have no label and no legal binding. So Grimes is leaning into this. She's saying, I understand that AI can mimic my voice. I encourage it. I am happy to let people use my voice in their songs as long as you credit me and as long as we split the music 50-50. It's, a, it's an interesting approach. It's kind of, I mean, just talk about uh, just leaning into the future and being totally okay with it. If, I'm, if I were Grimes, I'd be a little afraid of what people might do with my voice, but she's, she seems prepared. Well, you're, it's, it's the internet. It's going to be a filthy place and somebody's going to do something terrible. But... Was that rule thirty four, right? Yeah, but like, <laughs> let's let's think about this just from you know a musician's perspective. What really is? It's not that different to me than collaborating with a producer who says, "I have this beat, this thing, I have this idea. I just need you to sing the hook." What's really the difference here? Mm. I don't see it as. I mean, it's clearly different, but I think she's smart. She would probably sing if the hook was good. And it was a song that would generate revenue. She'd probably be more than happy to split that money like she would on a production deal. This seems to me to be in the same, maybe not ballpark, but sport. So uh, this makes sense to me. Good on, good on Grimes. Well, as I look at it, though, I, I'm i looking at it through my lawyer prism. And I talked a little bit about this with Rob Abelo last week. And one of the things I was asking him about sort of kind of generally is if you're an artist like Grimes... And you are asking for 50% royalty on any song that uses an AI-generated version of your voice. That presupposes that somebody needs Grimes' permission to use her voice in a song. And as a lawyer, I can tell you the law is not 100% clear on whether that's the case. 
it wouldn't you know necessarily violate copyright because you're not actually using a copyrighted Grimes work. You're just using her voice. And, you know, maybe there's a trademark issue if you put on your song that you're collaborating with Grimes because, you know, that's violating her trademark if she's not actually in the song. But let's say you don't do that. There's not a clear copyright issue. There's not a clear trademark issue. Depending on what state you're in, maybe you can argue under a state law that there's a right of publicity issue for stealing somebody's voice. But to my knowledge, I'm not aware of a state that has clearly said that this sort of use of a voice in a song violates a right of publicity statute. We might see this in California. There's that case that we talked about last week involving Young Gravy and Rick Astley, where Rick Astley is arguing that uh, Young Gravy used a Rick Astley soundalike in Young Gravy's song, and so it was violating Rick Astley's rights. And depending on how that case shakes out, maybe it would establish a proprietary right to one's voice in a song. But again, the law is not clear there. So if I'm Grimes, it's not, you know, I'm not sure what I'm holding on to to be able to argue that I have to give, that you have to get my permission to use my voice in a song. I think that's a valid point. I also seem to remember reading a law review article written about Pitbull specifically. Oh, and co-authored by Pitbull about <laughs> him having... A tr- a, a, refresh us, Ryan. Is does that article apply here? I think you had something to do with it. Uh, yes, yes, it does. The 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 Pitbull, the article that I co-wrote with Pitbull. A lot of people can say they wrote a song with Pitbull, but how many people can say they wrote a law review article with Pitbull? This guy can. Yes, I actually do think that that the topic of that article matters here. So what what Zach's talking about is an article that we wrote about producer tags, which is. One of the ways that we might be able to AI proof music a little bit and and help distinguish between songs that are real and songs that are fake. So a producer tag is when a artist or producer says some kind of sound clip in their song, like when Jason Derulo sings Jason Derulo before he gets into a song that we have some we have some law now that would say that that kind of sound can function as a trademark. And so one thing that artists might be able to use to be able to say that this is my song, this is me singing and not AI singing is to have that is to use your whatever your producer tag is in your song, whether it's Soldier Boy, tell them or Jason Derulo or whatever it is, because if somebody else uses that tag without your permission and that's your trademark, that could be trademark infringement. So you might see these producer tags, these sonic signatures, as we've called them, take on a lot more value in a post-AI world. Well, that makes me think artists need to start thinking about using that more. Yeah. I mean, I think every artist, like, because it used to be something that we just saw in hip-hop, right? Right. Or maybe R&B. But now, like, maybe we're going to see every artist starting to use producer tags now or tags in the beginning of their song just so that they can kind of tell the world okay this is actually me and this isn't just a computer that sounds like me where's metal dave when we need him need him because he would tell you metallica does this all the time yeah yeah you know (laughs) man i would like does i sound like creed i would love to be the trademark lawyer that helps james hetfield get a trademark for yeah yeah Well, we got one more uh, quickly. I want to go over this one more copyright trademark uh, IP law story to go over. And that is uh, yet another 
salvo in my continuing uh, crusade, this war we have on insane copyright lawsuits that just make me so, so sad. We have lamented on this program about an increasing number of copyright cases uh, by old songs from old singers, many of whom are no longer with us, that are bringing lawsuits against current singers by arguing that the songs of today are similar enough to songs from prior generations such that it constitutes copyright infringement. And oftentimes these lawsuits are based on a very tenuous connection between the two songs. And what it really does more than anything else is just create a chilling effect on future songwriters, where now future songwriters are always going to be afraid. Oh no, is this song that I have in my head, Is it? does it sound too much like a song that I used to listen to when I'm a kid? Am I going to get sued? Am I going to get a cease and desist letter? Is my career going to be over? This is the stuff that worries me as an attorney who often represents a lot of these new artists. And the latest example of these crazy lawsuits that are happening is happening right now in New York federal court between Ed Sheeran and a the estate of songwriter Ed Townsend. Uh, Townsend was one of the writers of the Marvin Gaye song, Let's Get It On. And uh, his heirs are suing Ed Sheeran, saying that Ed Sheeran's Grammy-winning song, Thinking Out Loud, sounds too much like Let's Get It On. Now, here's the thing about these two songs, Zach, and, and I'm sure you know them very well, because yeah, yeah, they, you know, they, they both were you know, at the center of the musical universe at one point in time, there's no similarity in lyrics. There's no similarity in melody. Nobody would hear these two songs and think they're the same. The only similarity between these two songs is this. is a chord progression. And a pretty standard, pretty basic chord progression at that. And I mean, and that's been readily admitted in this case that that's what this case is, is that you can play those chords and sing both of those songs. And that's a scary prospect to me because, you know, this Zach, as a musician, there are you, you could probably name 10 songs that all have the same chord progression. And if we're going to start saying that the same chord progression is copyright infringement, there's a whole lot of artists that need to get real scared real fast. Now, you're the entertainment attorney, and I am no longer a practicing attorney, but I took copyright law, Ryan, and let me tell you, nothing is more dangerous than somebody that took a class once. (laughs) I seem to recall that copywriting a chord progression wasn't really a thing because it's so common. How is this any different, or is it not, and that's why you're outraged? I'm as surprised as you are, because that's the way I learned it, too. I mean, and, and maybe we're old, like maybe we're copyright dinosaurs now, Zach, but when when I was a lad, when I was, you know, but a, a humble 27-year-old learning the finer points of copyright law, they taught me that copyright in song is music, is melody, and lyrics. Right. Melody and lyrics. Everything else is just extra stuff. But if your melody and the lyrics are the same, that's copyright infringement. In no world would anybody think that chord progressions could give rise to copyright infringement because there's only so many chords. If you play a song in a certain key, there's only so many chords that sound good in that key. And so, and there's only so many sequences of chords that sound pleasing to the ear. So if we're going to give 
one artist a monopoly over a chord progression, to me, that is the same as giving a poet the rights, the exclusive rights over iambic pentameter. You know, and imagine if uh, if only Shakespeare could use iambic pentameter and we weren't able to do our Chad GPT performance just now and how, how much worse off the world would be. Well, I think it's even bigger than that, right? I think it's more akin to saying only this painter can use red. Yeah. Because it is, these chord progressions are so common. In fact, I remember seeing an interview with Ed Sheeran where he basically said not only are almost all pop songs the same basic four chords, you can sing almost any pop song over the same basic four chords, and he proceeded to do it. Yeah. Um, there are comedy acts, I forget the name of it, but it's a comedy band that does the four-chord song where they mash up like... Yeah, 15, Access of Awesome. Access of Awesome. They just do this. Did they yeah. commit 15 separate... Well, I guess it's different, but that's parody, but neither here nor there. This just seems utterly ridiculous, almost as nuts, nutso as the blurred lines situation. Yeah, to, to me, this is even more nutso than blurred lines. I mean, that was a pretty nuts case, too. But, but I mean, chord progression, Zach, the entire every song in the 1960s was C, A minor, F, and G. Yeah. Every pop song in the 90s and 2000s was C, G, A minor, F. <laughs> and, like, one, you know, one, can you four, imagine? Five, minor six is that's just. That's the bedrock of American pop and rock. I mean, and and so what are we doing? And here's the other thing that's frustrating about it is because you might because maybe you're one of these like copyright maximalists who's like we need to protect the old artists. You know, we we need to protect their rights. But here's the thing: Marvin Gaye, sadly, no longer with us. And in many of these lawsuits that are being brought against the artists of today aren't being brought by the artists. These are zombie copyrights being brought by the heirs of songwriters. And sometimes they're even being brought by soulless, faceless investment companies that have bought these catalogs and are, you know, so you're just getting sued by a P.O. box in Delaware. And so this isn't about rewarding creators anymore. This is just about trying to stretch property rights too far and hurting future creators in the process. I mean, if you're a guitar player nerd like I am, you know that Jimi Hendrix is famous for the Hendrix chord. It's a E7 sharp nine. It's a I'll spare you the, the theory details. but it's That definitely sounds it's, like something I couldn't play on ukulele. It, that, I don't think I have enough fingers. It's, it's the Hendrix chord. But Stevie Ray Vaughan also used it. And I also use it. By playing that chord, am I now potentially infringing on the copyrights of Foxy Lady or Purple Haze? I mean, this is kind of... This is, this is the most chicken little I've felt about copyright in a long time. Yeah. To me, and, and, in a lot of ways, the damage is already done. Because this yeah. has already gotten to a jury. This is a trial now. The fact that this has even gotten past summary judgment, and now it's in the hands of a jury. And I've always said there's no force in this universe more dangerous than a copyright jury. <laughs> you never know what they're going to do. The chilling effect has already begun at that point. Because once you get into a jury, anything can happen. And if Ed Sheeran loses, which is not outside of the realm of possibility, I'm not worried about Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran can probably afford it, even if it's an expensive judgment, and he'll appeal. I'm worried about the indie creators, the ones who don't have an unlimited war chest to defend these claims. Uh, I'm, you know, the kind of artists that Janisha Jones works with, who are up and coming and trying to make their way in the industry. That's the stuff that freaks me out. And I, I think we need we need a reckoning in copyright law. Maybe it needs to be done by Congress. Maybe we need appeals courts to get their act together and and create better doctrine. But this is not sustainable. No, this is ridiculous. Um, 
Thanks, Ryan. You know, usually I'm the one bringing the bum out energy. Thanks. I'm glad. I'm glad it's you this week. That's fantastic. We should have closed with the delightful Shakespearean scene. We did this all out of order, but we have lots to be happy about because we're going to take a break. We're going to compose ourselves. We got a fantastic interview coming up next with Anisha Jones. Don't go anywhere. Keep checking out Break the Business. Ryan Carella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Break the Business, everybody. Ryan Carella here with Zach Sloan, producer Lauren, and we're just having such a good time on all major podcast platforms, streaming platforms, and Sirius XM 145. Much love to the fantastic humans over at Slam Radio, who, uh, despite our really ridiculous Shakespearean scenes, continue to give us a satellite radio home on a weekly basis. And I'd like to think the reason why they do, Zach, is because we bring the terrific guests every week, do we not? Word. Let- Let's go ahead and bring out one of our terrific guests this week. She is a music industry executive and the founder of the Juke Joint Foundation, a organization created to celebrate and support women of color working in the music business. Juke Joint is dedicated to promoting greater inclusion of women in color in the industry and advancing equity in decision-making processes. You can find out more about our guest work by visiting jukejointfoundation.org. And you can also check out season three of her Pub Royalty Queen podcast, which is available now. We are happy to welcome Janisha Jones on to Break the Business. Hi, Janisha. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Zach. Very nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. I can't believe our Shakespeare scene didn't scare you away because you came in right in the middle of that. You must have been so confused. I really was. I'm not going to lie. It definitely threw me for a loop, but it looked like you guys were enjoying yourself. So, you know, why not? There you go. And I'd like to be able to explain to you all the reasons why like we were doing that on our show. I feel like it would just just confuse you more and you might leave us and we want to get some of your insights. So um, but great to have you here to start us off. Love to learn a little bit more about the organization. Where does the name Juke Joint come from? 
Juke Joint is actually paying homage to uh, African-American ancestry. Uh, right after the emancipation of slavery, uh, African-Americans used to congregate in what we call uh, juke joints, uh, where they would celebrate in, in merriment and in music. So juke joint is really just an embodiment of what we'd like to experience as members, a, a camaraderie and the celebration of our history as well as where we are headed. And Juke Joint came out of your own quantitative research that you've done where you've analyzed data demonstrating the concrete issues that women of color face when in trying to advance in the music industry. Can you talk about some of those concrete issues? Definitely. Well, first of all, I started the podcast first. I started Pub Royalty Queen podcast as a way to uh, not only expand my network because I've led a career in music and technology, which is a very isolating place to be, especially as a person of color. Um, and in, in, in uh, expanding my network, I was able to also tap into the fact that we have shared experiences and shared challenges. And so uh, as a data analyst, I produced the first research study on intersectionality called The Seat at the Table, a perspective on women of color in the music industry, which I've had the privilege of presenting on international stages like South by Southwest and Music Biz Conference, Measure of Music, um, and that information is being used to create more equitable opportunities for people of color in the music industry. Uh, a funny story is that in beginning of this research, I reached, reached out to a very reputable market uh, research agency uh, to find out what kind of information already exists out there that can support the research that I was doing. Um, but unfortunately, par for the course, I think of where we are as a society, um, th this demographic information of information did not exist. So it turns out I was the first to produce it. Um, and now this research, like I mentioned, is being used to pr provide more uh, accurate and specific targets for initiatives leaning towards DEI. Um, yeah, expanding DEI and being able to offer support to marginalized groups within the music community. So it sounds like your podcast and this organization serve as sort of a one-two punch for you to try to be more, to try to create more inclusivity for women of color in the music industry. Um, do these two platforms, do they sort of interact together in that regard? Do you, are they kind of for two sure. separate avenues? How does it work? Well, the good thing is that, and you can probably relate, um, whenever you have guests on your show, you are creating a relationship and a connection with that person. Um, and because of the shared uh, experiences that we have, most of my guests, they become like sisters to me. And we, we are building a, essentially a sisterhood with Juke Joint Foundation. Um, most of these women, when they're coming onto their, the show, they're expressing some of those swept under the rug issues, whether it's, you know, microaggressions or being discredited for their work or being isolated, like I mentioned or tokenized, which is a, a huge issue when you are one of the only people in the room that looks like you. Um, and then not having anyone to lean on for that support, Juke Joint is that foundation, right? Juke Joint is that place where they can go to gain the support that they need. But also uh, we offer scholarships, grants, and access to music biz related events. So not only do you have this network that you can uh, enjoy and, and offer mentorship or gain mentorship from, but now you also have access to funding. Uh, now you have access to relationships, uh, which we know are is the biggest um, way to move about in this business. 
And for the sort of women of color that you're trying to empower through your initiatives, for those who are viewing and listening what you're saying and they want to learn more about some of these opportunities, whether it's to be part of your network or to perhaps take advantage of some of these scholarship programs that you have, how can they learn more? How can they be part of it? Uh, well, we are accepting applications for membership via our website, jukejointfoundation.org. Um, the information about the research study, I have it available on pubroyaltyqueen.com, which is my podcast um, ap application, even though that you can also find that on Spotify and Apple Music, and uh, we also have a YouTube channel. But uh, the research study is a way to kind of gain insight into why Juke Joint Foundation is necessary. There are certain challenges that people at the intersection of racial and gender biases face in the music industry that don't necessarily have those tools available to them in the corporate world. So Juke Joint is the way to gain access to those tools necessary. The question I want to ask next, I ask with some measure of trepidation. I want to apologize on the front end if this question comes off in a way that is uh, that that is not intended, because I think this question could be construed as suggesting that it is the responsibility of women of color in the industry to tell people who are not women of color in the industry how to be better allies. And that's um, definitely not what is intended here, because that is not, you know, your community's right. responsibility. However, um, with all of that in the front end, do you have any advice for folks who are not women of color in the music industry who may be in a position to empower the, these these communities to be better allies. For sure, one of the things that Juke Joint is really focused on is creating safe spaces, right? Actually, me as a CEO of Fresh and Sassy Productions, that's what I do. I create safe spaces for people to have really uncomfortable conversations because whenever you're challenging the status quo, ultimately people are going to get uncomfortable, right? So. One of the uh, events that we curated recently is called Cocktails and Conversations, where we invited white women in the music industry, as well as women of color in the music industry, to explore the research as a way for them to awaken um, and to be more aware of some of those challenges, but also as a way to teach us some of the things, tools that they may have or um, uh, knowledge that they may have in terms of how they navigate in the music industry. And it, it became a really uh, memorable moment for a lot of these women that hadn't felt seen or heard in that kind of way. Um, and they came away with a network as well, an expanded network uh, beyond people who they would normally have access to. So it was great to be able to cre create this environment where people felt, you know, they were actually respected, even though we have different experiences and, and how we navigate this industry. That is, that's great insight. And I, I commend you and, you know, I, to that, that your organization is taking the initiative to bring these groups to you when I feel like it really should be our responsibility to be purposefully inclusive toward, you know, your communities, you know, women right. of color. And so the, the fact that you all are the ones reaching out the hand just like is is so above and beyond. Um, well, you know, I and, have to admit, when I when I gave the research study, uh, the first uh, study last year at Music Biz, one of the questions that was asked to me by an executive search agent was, how do we tap into your network? Because we want to hire more women of color, but we don't know where to find them. And this becomes the 
quote that I hear resonated every time I present this research. Um, the fact of the matter is there are people that already exist in those spaces. It's just a matter of not uh, feeling comfortable, I suppose, um, approaching people who don't share the same experiences as you or someone that doesn't remind you of yourself, um, to be frank. Um, and so I think it just creates, there's a deliberate effort that needs to be made in order to reach across the table and say, you know, I just, you seem interesting. How can we, how can we bridge a gap or how can we work together? Yeah. Zach, to me, the, one of the, the wildest thing that, uh, Janisha was saying right now was in the beginning of this where, and, and I think you, you noticed this too, because I saw your eyebrows go up where she starts her research journey, right? Where she says she wants to research and be able to quantify the lack of opportunity being provided to women of color in the music industry. And not only was it not, you know, so, and it, and it wasn't an issue of the data suggesting that this is the case, that there's a lack of opportunity. The, the, the lack of opportunity was so significant that the data didn't even exist. <laughs> Janisha had to find it. She had to quantify it herself and then present her findings. I would have never guessed, Zach, that it would, it, you know, that there was that much of a gap there, that like the knowledge didn't even exist and Janisha had to create it. Yeah, that's pretty extreme. But, you know, I was reading an interview in Janisha, if I, you don't mind me quoting you to you, uh, there's something yeah. you said that really struck me. This information, the fact that you were the first one to go looking for it, it's pretty self-evident that having a diverse, I'm going to read your quote. It is evident that diverse perspectives are crucial in generating larger profits and reaching a wider audience. In a global yeah. music market, in a global entertainment market, it baffles me that this stuff didn't exist because can't people even just look at it skeptically with dollar signs and go, we should get to more people and make more money. How are you dealing with that situation? Because I can't believe you have to argue that point. Right. And so when we think of diversity, a lot of us specifically think of like genderism or racism. Right. Um, but there are so many different spectrums of diversity. There's ageism, there's classism, there's ableism. And so there's a lot of different uh, ways that we can categor categorize diversity. And yes, diverse perspectives amass larger audiences because now the message gets pushed further. Um, and because of that, it amasses larger profits. But in the music industry, we're in this really interesting place. It's, we're in a very disruptive place. Let's just start there. Um, but after the murder of George Floyd, we started to see a lot of these major music companies invest in uh, DEI programming as a way to be on the right side of history, quote unquote, you know, like wanting to be part of the solution and not the problem. Um, but the issue is, and, and I've, I've had this confirmed by major music companies that come to me and like, we need this research because we've just been losing out on our investments by throwing money at issues that we're not really sure are real issues for this demographic. So, um, and what we find too is that most of these companies cannot even though they might have their own research agencies and, and research um, uh, institutions, they can't segment the data based off of race, gender. So it's harder for them to gather this information and why they would need an organization like a seat at the table market research agency to produce this, uh, this data. Season three of Janisha's Pub Royalty Queen podcast is going on now. 
Can you tell us a little bit about this, uh, who you have in the season and uh, what interviews you're excited about? Sure. We're about to end our third season, um, but it's been an, an amazing ride. A first um, guest on the show this season was Tina Davis, who's uh, just a goat in the music industry, formerly managed Chris Brown, and now she's head of A&R at Empire. Uh, she's also been a huge mentor for me um, as I you know, worked with Empire for a few years. Um, we've also had some newcomers in the industry, uh, some folks that are just starting to get their foot in the door. So it's a great dichotomy uh, seeing people that have, you know, a lot more experience and, you know, maybe some generational uh, differences or challenges that they might have faced um, back when they first started in the game versus people who are coming into the business now. And, and it's great to be able to build um, those kinds of relationships across the spectrum. Gosh, that does sound very, very exciting. It sounds like, you know, as a fellow podcaster, Janisha, between what you do with Pub Royalty Queen and what you do with Juke Joint Foundation, I think you and I have both discovered like the same magic elixir that comes from what we do, which is the networking potential, right? Like one of the reasons why you podcast is because you're using it to build your network, right? You're getting introduced yeah. to people who you would never have otherwise gotten to meet because, you know, you say to somebody, Hey, can I get a cup of coffee with you? Maybe they do it. Maybe they don't, but you say, Hey, you want to come on my podcast? They always say yes. And so you get to build your network that way. Well, what I find too about um, interviewing these women is for most of them, it's their first time being on the show. Um, and because they've experienced some of the same challenges of being isolated or being the only person in the room that looks like them, there weren't any safe spaces for them to share their experiences. So they feel honored to be even invited to be on the show. Um, really, truly, genuinely, they feel that way. It's also a form of therapy when you start talking about things that they've never had the chance to let off their shoulder, so to speak, or let off their back. Um, and to know that someone else um, can relate and not come from a place of competition, more or less support, you know, it becomes therapy. Um, so yeah, I've appreciated those relationships as much as they've appreciated being on the show. Our guest has been Janisha Jones. She is the founder of Juke Joint Foundation, a organization created to celebrate and support women of color in the music business. Find out more by visiting jukejointfoundation.org and check out our guest's Pub Royalty Queen podcast, currently wrapping up its third season. Uh, Janisha, this has been an absolute pleasure. Before we let you go, we got one last question to ask you. Really would be excited for your insight here. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Yes, actually. Um, I'm, and I'm glad you asked because I am a music creator. That's how I be began in the music industry. I'm a classically trained musician. I went to school to learn how to cultivate the craft and better promote myself as an artist. I quickly learned that the operational side is where I can probably have more of a lucrative uh, career. With all of that said, one of the main threads that I like to share with artists is know your story. Okay, the story also includes the challenges. It's not always about the wins. It's not about the plaques. It's not about the awards. It's not about the numbers. It really is about how you've navigated this world. What are some of the things that may, were unique to your story? And how can you use that to connect with your, with your fans and engage with them? Um, I feel like a lot of artists right now get caught up in the hype of, you know, how many TikTok views do I have? Or, you know, the streaming, obviously, the streaming game is such a huge 
um, uh, I mean, it's important for their career as well. But as you see, and as you were pointing out with AI, there is a lot of transition happening here in the music industry. So you can't rely on that as a format to engage with your fans as much anymore. But um, I would say that as long as you have a full understanding of who you are, what makes you unique, including the challenges, including the heartbreaks, including some of the, the harder things that, you know, you don't necessarily um, boast about, that is what's actually going to connect with your fans. So uh, that's what I would offer to emerging artists. Well, since you brought up AI and because we were talking entirely too much about it in the prior segment, I, I, I want to give I want to give one more question then. Yes. I mean, as, as an industry professional, I know you've been thinking a lot about AI and the increasing role it's playing in the music industry and the potential for upheaval that it presents for yes. creators. Do you have any other thoughts on your mind about what's just going on with AI right now? I feel like everyone in the music industry has a love-hate relationship with AI because you see the potential for it as a revenue stream, you know, um, as a way to just change the dynamic of how we interact with each other and how we uh, express ourselves. Um, I personally believe that this is an opportunity for artists to uh, expand uh, their likeness. Um, I'm on the rights and royalties management side of the music industry. So really speaking about how rights management platforms have to evolve in order to um, account for these new technologies, that's something that's really exciting um, for me. And one of the things that I've thought about is, you know, just like we have Shazam and, um, uh, you know, recognition tools, we can do the same with AI. Um, voice recognition tools that can help to pinpoint the rights owners of of those original ids or fingerprinting so to speak um i know that further down, down the line and the industry is uh slow to catch up to new technologies especially legalities but i'm excited i i think it's an opportunity opportunity and cat's already out the bag so you, you can't put it back in yeah you can't unring the bell, but you know what, Janisha, your optimistic perspective is just what Zach and I needed to hear. Cause we spent a good chunk of this episode, you know, chicken littling as, as Zach said earlier, just lamenting the changes in our industry. But I think you're probably going to be the right one on this. Um, please don't be a stranger, Janisha. We really appreciated your perspective and we'd love to have you on again real soon. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Have a great one. Janisha Jones, everybody. Zach, does she make you feel better about AI? Yes, she's awesome. Yes, she is I, I awesome. Actually, I was I was scrolling through her, her guest list on her podcast. I'm gonna go check some of this out after the show. <laughs> she's, her, her podcast, she had her, her season three, her season three guest dope. list banger after banger. She is indeed the pub cool. royalty queen. Really, really terrific stuff. Um, so excited to have gotten the opportunity to meet her and I, and I hope she stops by and if she's willing to throw some of her guests our way, we would uh, not be too upset about that. We would love to uh, create a, a provide a forum for a lot of those fantastic guests. Zach, I've really enjoyed it this week. I, you, you have given me a lot to think about, including this fantasy Eurovision concept that we're going to need to flesh out over the next few days and week. Cause if we're going to do something with Eurovision, it basically needs to start what next week, because yeah, you know, after it. that, like it's basically Eurovision season. So 
we got to, you know, we talk to producer Lauren. We got maybe get the other co-hosts involved. Maybe Janisha Jones has some thoughts on Eurovision. I don't know if she's a Eurovision song contest fan, but if she's not, we're going to make her one because it's a fantastic production. But I don't want another Eurovision to go by where we don't uh, fully embrace this much how you embraced your role of Lucius in that Shakespearean scene we did in the first segment. Let's do this. <laughs> Our thanks to you, that Zach Sloan, our thanks to Janisha Jones, thanks to producer Lauren, thanks to William Shakespeare, and thanks to all of you viewers and listeners for checking out Break the Business. We will see you next week. Break.